Manufacturing is actually the largest industry impacted by cyber attacks. Uh, it's actually more cyber attacks now are targeted at manufacturing than, say, the banking industry. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graf. On today's show, we're discussing the scary reality that manufacturers are the number one target of cyber terrorists around the globe. Manufacturing companies are at risk for ransomware and intellectual property theft. It's even possible for hackers to take control of a factory's machine tools remotely. Our guest is Drew Phillips, Senior Systems Integration Engineer at MXD a company that helps U.S. manufacturers secure their facilities from cyber terrorism. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I am very honored to be with Drew Phillips, Senior Systems Integration Engineer at MXD in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Recently, I heard a podcast talking about cybersecurity, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. And so I sought MXD out to give us a good scoop. Tell us real quick what MXD is. What does it stand for? What do you guys do, etc.? Absolutely. So MXD uh, stands for Manufacturing Times Design. Uh, we are one of the Manufacturing USA institutes across the U.S. Uh, it's a number of institutes who are uh, who have been stood up through public-private partnerships in order to enhance manufacturing in the U.S. Uh, so we've been open since 2014. Uh, we've been known as MXD since 2019. And our main tenants are digital manufacturing. So we are the Digital Manufacturing Institute, you know, really trying to help U.S. manufacturers get those industry 4.0 and future capabilities into their operations, you know, help them innovate and enhance their operations. Um, as a part of that, we are also the National Center for Cybersecurity and Manufacturing. That's a lot what you focus on then, cybersecurity. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. It's one of our main tenants. Um, so like say, helping our nation's manufacturers secure their operations and their facilities, their data, their equipment, you know, all of those things. And then workforce development. So not only getting skilled workers into shops for whether that's running machines, aggregating data, but also like say getting those skilled cybersecurity personnel into those shops as well. So, okay. 
This is a little more crazy than most cybersecurity stuff, but I thought it was really cool. I, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts recently. It's called American Innovations. And they had a show about something called Stuxnet, which is related to cyber terrorism as connected to manufacturing. But this is kind of what got my brain going on it. I, and Drew actually can explain it better than me. Uh, tell me what Stuxnet is, and then we're going to work this right into the interview about cybersecurity. Absolutely. So, yes. Yeah, so Stuxnet, uh, the most famous or infamous event uh, with Stuxnet is around 2010. Uh, Stuxnet is a malware, uh, you know, a computer virus uh, that is believed to be responsible for um, targeting and uh, attacking a number of centrifuges in an Iranian nuclear facility. So it was designed by the good guys. <laughs> no, I'm no one, you know, no, nobody has actually claimed credit for it, uh, you know, even though it's been what now, 12 years or so. Uh, but, you know, there there's certainly debate as to, to who it benefits the most. Right. So people said it was maybe like the U.S. and Israel kind of uh, the, the things that I have read have suggested that it had to have been done by a cyber superpower, you know, whoever, whoever that may be. So there's certainly been a lot of insinuation and assumption and instigation that, uh, you know, the U.S. and, you know, possibly Israel. Who are the cyber superpowers? U.S., Israel, Russia, Ukraine, China, China. Yeah. You know, you know, most of, you know, most of the big, you know, the big uh, countries, you know, your U.S., your U.K., your China, you know, I, I believe those would be considered uh, your your cyber superpowers. But yeah, basically, they uh, what what happened is this, uh, like I say, this virus. Um, basically, once it was introduced to the facility, it actually impacted the the PLCs that controlled the centrifuges in this facility, and they impacted them in such a way that it changed the speeds at which they rotate, and was actually like say, believed to be responsible for damaging and taking out of commission a number of centrifuges in, in that facility. And the, the code, you know, to this day is still out in the world. Um, so, you know, these, these types of attacks are certainly possible um, at, at non-nuclear uh, refining facilities. So the, Correct me if I'm wrong, the development in this thing was that it was a virus that was attacking PLCs, not just like regular computers. And that was that was a difference in it is it was controlling machine tools or were there viruses like that before this? Yeah. So to my knowledge, and, and I'll, I'll certainly can get more history, but to my knowledge, this is kind of one of the first uh, certainly high uh, visibility types of viruses that um, now it, I believe it was introduced initially on uh, this facility's IT network, you know, on their computers some way. Uh, but, you know, their equipment was hooked up to their IT network so that they could monitor, uh, you know, how how these machines are running, because like say these these refineries, you know, they care very much at what, you know, RPM these uh, machines are running at and for how long. So they were constantly looking at that data. Um, and to my knowledge, basically this this malware once, you know, onto the host system. It just kind of slithered its way from, from the system into the machines? Correct, yeah. It was able to get from the computers onto the machines. And then, uh, you know, basically the hackers 
were able to expose a vulnerability on these PLCs uh, to like say go in and actually change the frequency at which these things were running in such a manner that you know it was able to actually damage these machines. So theoretically, somebody in Russia could go if they had you know the same kind of virus, they could go and infiltrate CNC wave making ammunition or. If you think about it, as if you're a precision machining company, you know you've got a number of CNCs. Uh, it would be possible for a a cyber criminal to uh, you know try to introduce a malicious software onto your network to get to your lathe you know to your CNC and then you know while you you've got a piece in work they could mess with the RPMs of your lathe you know they could mess with your axis values you know they could turn off the coolant you know all these different kind of things that they could do if they were able to get in. Uh, to your network and like, say, actually have access to those PLCs. So that could take your machine down, you know, that could do, that could potentially do damage to, you know, your employees, depending on on what happens, right? No, it's really crazy. Um, and you said the virus is still out there. <laughs> you know, it's it's like they say, you know, once you put something on the internet, it's there forever. Uh, you know, these types of software, you know, once they've been introduced into the world, you know, people can go, you know, people have gone and looked at that code and, uh, you know, try to adapt it to whatever, you know, means they're seeking. So on the dark web, you could maybe buy this type of code and then have it in your arsenal? Potentially. Like say the, the lengths that some cyber criminals will go to uh, you know, to either just inflict damage upon people or, you know, try to get money by causing harm to your infrastructure or taking your, your data and using like a ransomware type of event. So now it's okay. This is like extreme, you know, crazy stuff, but cyber attacks are, you know, it is a huge problem for manufacturers, you know, worldwide. So Let's go into that now. This is one of the, the largest threats of cybersecurity. This is the, the biggest one, manufacturing companies. Uh, yeah, so manufacturing is actually the largest industry impacted by cyber attacks. Uh, it's actually more cyber attacks now are targeted at manufacturing than, say, the banking industry. That's crazy. Why? Are the banks more protected? So they're going after manufacturing companies? The whys, I'm, I'm sure there's a, a ton of different whys, um, but just kind of put it in perspective. Uh, in 2019, manufacturing was number 10. So like I say, that's just how much it has risen. 2019? It was number 10? We've gone from 10 to 1 in just a matter of a couple of years. Um, and the the number of cyber attacks are expected to double by 2025. You So you don't know why manufacturing has surpassed banking? There's a few reasons, right? So certainly banking is, is doing a lot to protect their customers. That's not going to stop criminals, for instance, but for a number of reasons. So manufacturing, one, it is now easier to steal intellectual property from manufacturing than ever before. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, just a, a matter of, Years ago, you know, in order to actually steal intellectual property from a manufacturer, you actually had to go into an office, get into a locked cabinet, you know, steal a bunch of papers and then get out the door, right? If you wanted to get drawings or designs or, you know, information about the machines, things like that. But as 
manufacturers have gone more digital yes. uh, with not only the actual design process of parts, you know, so you've got all these model-based design and engineering going on with technical data packages, um, but also just like say with how companies are doing their business, you know, the exposure is much higher now. And uh, for instance, like, like we, sorry to interrupt. I've done some interviews with somebody, you know, it's, there are these companies that people just send in a print and then they, you know, automatically get bids for it. You know, this is the kind of stuff that's causing all of the attacks, just that people are, I mean, I'm sure if you talk to these companies, they would say, Oh, well, we're really protected, you know, we're <laughs> well, certainly, you know, certainly you've got, you know, a few things, obviously in like today's, you know, on demand economy, you know, with two day uh, ship times for a lot of uh, parts, you know, people want that speed, you know, to get that speed, there's a lot going on digital, uh, even for government programs, a lot of times now, uh, you know, the government is requiring technical data packages for, you know, solutions providers to be digital you know, as opposed to it used to be, you know, you had to turn in a, a stack of drawings. So the, like say just the, the amount of things that have gone digital, not only for ease of communication and for use, you know, like say you can get a lot more data off of a 3D model, you know, than uh, in much faster than say, you know, having to look through like a five page print of a part that only shows you so many different views, right. And so many different uh, dimensions. But like say, it's just also kind of increased that exposure. Um, and then too, you know, kind of in terms of the way that we just communicate, uh, you know, as an economy, you know, you've got a lot of manufacturers whose supply chains are stretched across the country, across the world. Uh, so, you know, they're dependent on that data communication. Has COVID-19 caused more of this too, because everybody's trying to communicate remotely? I'm sure it certainly has a, has an impact on it. Um, like so I know, certainly a lot of bad actors are able to capitalize sometimes on, you know, the fact that maybe people haven't met face to face, or certainly in a while. You know, there have been a, a lot of phishing attacks that happen where these bad actors go in and try to get you to click on a link that you think, you know, looks real enough. You know, uh, one of the big examples is. You know, you get fake UPS emails or, you know, some other like a package has been delivered. Check the tracking. And it's just a link. And if you're not thinking about it or if you're like, oh, I think I had something due today, you know, you go and click on it without thinking. And all of a sudden, maybe now you've introduced a, like, say, a malicious actor onto your system. Crazy, crazy. Okay, so we've talked about some of the things that are vulnerable. Intellectual property, that's huge. Somebody takes your intellectual property, they could go and sell it to somebody else on the dark web or... Or like say, a lot of times you've got ransomware is a big thing. Like say, they they hold your, your intellectual property hostage until you give them some amount of money. So when I was talking to one guy yesterday, I was a fan of the podcast, actually. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm interviewing this guy in cybersecurity. And he said, oh, we, you know, we're really paying a lot of attention to that. And I said, do you guys have like, uh, you know, a little stockpile of Bitcoin ready in case they're <laughs> holding it for ransom? Do you recommend that to people to have a little bit of Bitcoin available to send over? To I get mean, I, I wouldn't recommend that personally. Uh <laughs> do some people say that? Do some do some consultants say that? Uh, I've never heard it from a consultant. I have heard a few people just casually, you know, in in conversation, say like, "Well, you know, we've looked at this Bitcoin thing." And is that you know, how 
is is it like you hear in 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 the news or in the movies do they usually want to be paid in crypto uh the the few folks that i know that have been impacted by something like a uh, like a ransomware typically like those cryptocurrencies because they are much harder to trace um and like say that's just kind of the that's been the uh, the mo of criminals in the past. I don't know if that's necessarily still. So would it be Bitcoin or would it be would it be Bitcoin or would it be more like one of those more under the radar ones like Zcash or or Monero? I couldn't like, I couldn't even begin to say I uh, I, I can't say that I uh, follow crypto that <laughs> that closely. Yeah, I'm acting like <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. I I don't really. Um, just have gambled a little bit on it. <laughs> so, okay. So we've got ransomware, we've got intellectual property, we've got crazy stuff like Stuxnet, never know. Uh, anything else that we need to watch out for? Uh, you know, like I say, certainly, um, you know, there are diff- different, you know, kind of threat vectors. Uh, we call them for, for malicious actors to, to attack. So, you know, like say you have those, phishing attacks, you know, like say people just trying to get into your network through clicking on links. Um, we have folks who, you know, are just out there trying to get into different passwords, um, just trying to attack you that way. What about identity theft? What about that? Uh, it's still certainly an issue. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Identity theft is up there. And then, you know, you still have people out like leaving USBs in parking lots, trying to get you to plug in a, a USB to your system to introduce some malicious like say software uh the the ways yeah what are the methods what are the methods they do so there's phishing with an email we get that kind of crap all the time yeah so obviously there's a lot of outside attacks um like say that's people just trying to to get into your system from the outside so like say phishing attacks you know you've got like say people just trying to leave a, a piece of infected hardware out for you to to introduce to your system like say so they would i mean people not that people use thumb drives much anymore but they i mean people still people still will go like say leave a thumb drive in a parking lot hoping that someone will just go plug it in their computer that that works i don't know how effective it is uh certainly you know in in our expertise we always say if you find one don't use it um but you know it's certainly still something that happens Hopefully now to this, I, I would hope to this point that most people should know, you know, not to use something like that. Um, but, you know, like I said, there's always a, a person who just, you know, not thinking about it. Like, oh, free thumb drive. Okay. Uh, one thing, this guy I was talking to, he said that one thing he hears about is people get infiltrated by a virus and then it doesn't do anything. Like it'll just chill out there for a couple months before anything happens and then then there's a lot of trouble you know what i'm talking about Uh, i mean that's certainly a possibility like say there are um you know there are viruses that get in and they stay kind of latent you know almost like a virus in in a human you know they might sit dormant for a period of time before actually doing whatever it is they're intended to do whether that's because uh the person behind it is taking the time to either find the most vulnerable thing to go after, or if they're looking for a particular, like say piece of uh, intellectual property, um, or like say, if they're just trying to take the time to uh, cause doubt, I guess, you know, to, to make it less easily 
determinable, like when that virus was introduced onto the system. It, like say the, you know, the, the folks who are behind this are, uh, are usually very smart. Yeah. <laughs> hey listeners, I first just want to say thank you for tuning in. I know you could be spending your time doing a whole bunch of other things right now. I'm trying hard to build our audience for this podcast, and as you might imagine, it's not easy. Rather than just ask you to rate and review the show, which I would love if you did, I want to try something different. I would be eternally grateful if you could stop this episode for a moment and think of one person who would enjoy the show, and then send them a text message to recommend it. Okay, I will now assume you've taken care of that. Back to the show. Is blockchain something that is useful for stopping some of this stuff from happening? Like I interviewed a guy a long time ago who talked about sending designs on blockchain for 3D printing, etc. Would that be something useful for people to use in their operation? I would actually have to get back to you on that. I am not that up to date on blockchain myself. Okay. Um, but it's certainly something I can get back to you on. I don't, I don't want to tell you something that's wrong. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I want to know now, what are the stuff that you guys are doing? That's obviously the next step. How do you, how do you guys help prevent it? How do you guys help solve the problem, et cetera? So give me, you know, what you guys do. So there's kind of two ways to think about cybersecurity um, in terms of its impact to your you and your business. Um, you know, there's really kind of cybersecurity as a best practice. And then there's cybersecurity for compliance. So like cybersecurity as a best practice is one of the things that we, we certainly preach. And we like to give a lot of examples of what you can do and some of the tools that are out there for you. So for example, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, uh, has what they call their CSF, their cybersecurity framework. Uh, and that is kind of a very basic kind of introduction to cybersecurity. Um, it's really got five tenants. It's identify, protect, detect, respond, and recover. Um, and it, it kind of goes through some of the different things you should do to kind of implement those. You know, basically the, the, the way it goes is, you know, you can't protect what's on your system if you don't know what's there. And then once you are able to identify, you know, everything on your in your facility, um, you can then start to go and protect it, you know, looking for different solutions to do something like that. One of the big things is like, say, actually being able to detect a cyber attack. That's actually one of the the harder things to do and actually one of the least done things, if, if you will. Which is, which is why it's the, when it lays dormant, it could be. Yeah. So actually, uh, the World Economic Forum's 2020 Global Risk Report states that the rate of detection of an attack is as low as 0.05% in the U.S. Five out of 10,000 times it's detected. How often does it happen and people never know? Uh I, I don't have that number for you, but it's it's high. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, like identity theft and stuff like that. Yeah. And and like I say, the thing too is it's not necessarily, it, it might not even be a cyber attack to your company. It could be a cyber attack to a company in your supply chain could impact you, right? You know, if you're building uh, some assembly and you've got a, uh, you know, a supplier down the road from you making a piece that goes in and all of a sudden they can't make parts. Now you can't make parts. 
so like say that's that's kind of part of it is is that kind of criticality of manufacturing right is probably another reason that these uh, cyber criminals have started attacking because like say it's just uh, you know you you want to get your facility back up and running i know a few years ago i forget which year um, i believe it was uh, nissan renault uh, was hit with the WannaCry. What's it called? WannaCry. It was, uh, I believe it was a type of ransomware. I'd have, I can double check real quick, but WannaCry is, is kind of one of those, uh, one of those viruses from a couple years ago that was going around for a while. It's yeah, it's a, it's a ransomware attack and it hit multiple plants across multiple countries for Nissan and Renault and stopped production. I believe it hit on a Friday and I think they got back up and running on a Monday. I don't know how many hours were lost. And that was ransomware. They And that was a ransomware. But like say, they hit multiple plants across multiple countries. So how much Bitcoin do you think they got from that? <laughs> I, I've seen estimates on, uh, you know, how much money was lost. I, you know, obviously they haven't come out to say how much you know, lost production or, or what have you. But like say the, the estimates that I've seen have, have been very large. There've been a lot of zeros. <laughs> um, so like say that's, that's part of it is, you know, detecting is, is, is very crucial because once you've detected it, you know, you can actually, you know, start to take action against that. So you, you know, you can respond to that event by, you know, taking your system, uh, you know, offline, um, you know, by trying to, you know, if, if any of your equipment has been impacted, you know, if it started acting funny, like say getting it back to where it was, uh, like say is that kind of crucial recovery piece. So like say it's kind of the, the, the cybersecurity framework from NIST is a very key and kind of foundational piece to cybersecurity. This is, this is stuff that you teach companies, instruct companies. Absolutely. Absolutely. So actually, um, you know, as part of our mission as the cybersecurity, like say, uh, Center for Manufacturing, we uh, have a few tools that we have on our website to help uh, manufacturers. Obviously, anyone can always come in to our office. We love giving tours and talking to folks. Um, but for those who just want to come in and, you know, kind of get their feet wet, you know, we even offer a virtual tour so that people can kind of see some of our demonstrations that we have on our floor, say they can't make it to Chicago. Um, I've been there and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I, I like working here and, you know, we're always out on the floor doing different stuff. Um, so like I said, we have that. So you can kind of go into some depth on some of our cybersecurity experiences that we have out on the floor. Like I say, sometimes it's hard to show cybersecurity. We also offer explain what what what's that what that's like the experience yeah so actually uh you'll see behind me is one of our we call it our cyber box uh it's just a, a tool that we've made here in house um a couple of folks on our team got a, a couple of patents for it that they're very proud of uh that we can show different ways of you know kind of those certainly the first two portions of uh the nist uh csf so um you know, identifying and protecting. And so uh, actually we have here, we've got a couple of computers um, and in the electrical box in the center, we've got some PLCs and these PLCs actually run uh, just a couple of uh, motors behind me. And uh, we can actually simulate a hack on them, which attacks one and not the other. Uh, well, I should say the attack. So this is more like this is more like the Stuxnet thing, where it's actually making a little bit, the, yeah. So it's actually going against uh, the PLCs themselves, and it appears to have logged me out. Of course, 
but that's all right. I can get back in easy. Maybe it was hacked. <laughs> it certainly seems that way sometimes. I'm sure you guys uh, have really good cybersecurity there, right? We do. So actually, one of the things that we offer is so one of, uh, you know, as I said at the beginning, there's cybersecurity for a best practice. There's also cybersecurity for compliance. So in order to perform on a number of government projects, you know, you need to be what's considered CMMC compliant, mm-hmm. um, which is the cybersecurity maturity model certification. Uh, and then basically it's uh, kind of a directive from the government that is aimed at protecting a couple of different types of data. So federal contract information, uh, also known as FCI, basically, you know, information about the contract, what's delivered, when, those sorts of things. And then CUI, which is confidential unclassified information. It's information that's considered sensitive, but it's, you know, not at that classified level of being, you know, critical to national defense sort of a thing. But in order to do that, so like I say, in order to actually perform on a certain number of government contracts, you need to meet this CMMC compliance method. So this is, this is where they're auditing you. Correct. So it's actually a tiered model. So at the first level, uh, it's a self-assessment. Then at a second level, there's a audit by a third party company. And then at the third level, you're actually being audited by uh, folks from the government itself. But what we at MXD have done is actually released a playbook for our journey to CMMC level one uh, compliance, because like say, it's one of those things that we want to share with other manufacturers on, you know, here are the, here are the stumbling blocks that uh, we ran into. Here are some things to avoid. Um, Here's some best practices, you know, things like that. And this is a tool, like say, that we offer to help companies kind of get to that level of of maturity when it comes to cybersecurity. And again, this is just cybersecurity for compliance. Uh, and there's a number of different standards out there for cybersecurity. And unless you are a, you know, kind of a cybersecurity engineer or, you know, other professional, a lot of these standards can be really confusing. Um, so another th- uh, service that we offer is we actually have a cybersecurity assessment that you can take with us. And it basically breaks down those really confusing standards into, you know, a number of questions about things that you may or may not be doing at your company currently. That way you can actually look at it and say, you know, here are the things that I'm doing at my company right now. Is this meeting cybersecurity standards without like say having to go through and do that translation yourself? So, you know, most American manufacturers are small companies. They might not even have an IT department, let alone a cybersecurity department. So, you know, we try to give folks an alternative to like, you know, bringing in those cybersecurity professionals if you can't afford that or, you know, bringing in a consultant. Are you guys government funded? So we are a public-private partnership. Um, So we are government funded. You know, we actually got a renewed five-year grant just a couple years ago from the Department of Defense, uh, but we offer a membership model. So like say we... Um, so you do have to pay to get your services. Some of them. We do offer some free things. So uh, like this company I was talking to yesterday, he was like consulting with IBM. Mm-hmm. Like, are you doing some of the same kind of stuff they'd be doing? It's just they're like on the private side or... So we try not to really overlap you know, with uh, some of the solutions that are out there, like say we are, we exist to really bring folks together and to try to push that innovation envelope rather than to provide necessarily solutions ourselves. So for instance, 
like say, we actually offer a cybersecurity marketplace uh, that basically, you know, you can go into our marketplace and say you're missing like two-factor authentication services. And we can basically say, okay, well, here are some services that provide that two-factor authentication for you. Um, like say, because like, you know, we, we don't provide those. Right. So you'll advise them, oh, you should try IBM or you should try X. Right. Yeah. We, we basically try to, you know, one on the one side, we try to get cybersecurity solution providers to work with us, you know, so that way we get better understanding of the needs of the market, the solutions that are out there. And then, you know, on the flip side, we try to get manufacturers in the door to like say shore up their operations by connecting them with the solutions that they might want or need. You know, it's a, it's a nice little thing. Like say, so that the marketplace is one of our newer offerings that we've been working on, like say to try to again, you know, kind of break down the, like, here are the, here are the areas of cybersecurity kind of more generally. And then like say kind of, connecting those up with actual providers, you know, again, rather than saying, oh, well, this standard has this requirement and, you know, having to go down that, that chain. Right. Right. No, you hold people's hands through it and make it hopefully less complicated. And the missions of the company is to get people to, you know, get off their ass and get safer. Right. I mean, I mean, like say our, our, like say our whole deal is to, help improve and innovate in American manufacturing. You know, the Department of Defense, you know, the reason we exist is because... All right. So your job isn't to go and convince people to get vaccinated against the computer viruses. You know, we're a small company. It'd be tough to go to all the people. But, you know, like say, our our big thing is to try to educate manufacturers on that return of investment. You know, like say, cybersecurity is not a matter of if... It's sort of like telling somebody to go get a flu shot or, you know, like, eh, it's not going to happen to me. I'm strong. Generally healthy. Right. Yeah. 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 And then it's not until something happens to people that they get serious about it pretty much. Yeah. And like I said, that's you know, pretty similar because, you know, a lot of, a lot of folks, you know, they say, well, I don't have the resources to deal with this right now, or it's not going to affect me. What are they going to steal from me? I don't really have much to steal. Right. But sadly, you know, the way the world today, uh, it's no longer a matter of if it's more of a matter of when. So, you know, having plans in place for what to do when a cyber attack occurs, you know, how to get your operation up and running again, uh, as any shop will tell you, you know, if you're not cutting chips, you're not making money, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So what are you yourself? Do you have like one password? yourself or you know i've been meaning i've been meaning to get one password for a while my brother's been is like you got to get one password what are the things that we should do as individuals well certainly as individuals you know protecting passwords is is key um you know not sharing passwords between your work and your personal is a, is definitely a big one you know if you have you know password one two three uh for both your work and your personal you know if one gets attacked the other could easily get attacked right once that one password is known, passwords that involve uh, whatever it is, you know, if, if it's a password for a particular service, you know, if, if the name of that service is in the password, that's generally easier to hack um, or, you know, repeating patterns like say one, two, three, or, or if you have to update your pattern going from, you know, password one to password two, those sorts of things are generally 
frowned upon. You know, it's it's nice to have a longer password with, you know, multiple characters. So, you know, uppercase, lowercase numbers, special characters, you know, passphrases are definitely usually recommended. Two-factor authentication. Definitely two-factor authentication. You know, I I always get mad at it or frustrated at here at work because I've got two-factor authentication, uh, like even for our SharePoint. And so I'll go from like my desktop to my laptop, but I also know that it's protecting me. So, you know, I get a couple of push notifications on my phone. What's the, what's the harm, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just takes a couple extra seconds. Um, Are phones more likely to get attacked than computers? I don't know if I would say that they themselves are, but certainly, you know, your habits when using a computer versus a phone can be different. Um, you know, personally, we have at, at our office, we actually run phishing exercises. So, you know, we'll get sent out uh, random emails throughout the month from kind of one of the training services that we use that are simulated phishing attacks. And I know that the same email that I get on my computer looks slightly different on my phone. And so if I have my email open on my phone, you know, that email is more, I am more susceptible to clicking on that link in that email on my phone than I am on my laptop, uh, just because of the way it shows up sort of a thing, if that makes sense. So, you know, your habits as an individual, you know, those are also something you need to be cognizant of. Because like, say, you know, the the, the, the cyber criminals are just looking for that one moment of, of weakness, right? Or, you know, that one time that you, you have a, you know, a lapse of judgment or it's been a really long day and you think, oh, I, you know, yeah, I did, I did order a package, you know, those sorts of things where, you know, sometimes you just get, you just get tired. Yeah, it happened to me recently where, where it was something from Amazon and they're like, you have to log in in order to change your password. And, you know, and I did. And then like, 10 seconds later, I was like, holy shit. And then I went into Amazon and changed my password for real. Yep. And yep. it's probably, should we be changing our passwords all the time? All the time, I would say no. Having, if you have a strong password, um, typically uh, I'd have to look at the numbers again, but you know, if you have like a 12 character password that has a uppercase, lowercase number and a special character, for like a brute force attack where someone is just basically trying all sorts of different attacks to, you know, break through your password. Uh, like say, if it's at least, you know, 12 characters has those uh, multiple special characters. Um, I want to say it's like, t- it would take 10,000 years or, you know, some very large magnitude number of years in order to break that password. So it's going to be 12 as, though. Uh, the longer the password, basically the higher you know, the longer it takes. So, uh, you know, there certainly there are plenty of places where they require a short or you can get away with a shorter password. You know, there might be a service that says, Oh, you know, your password just has to be eight characters and they don't really care what it is. But like say that kind of, uh, that 12 character limit, you know, it could just like say really increases, uh, the difficulty for someone to break that password. Um, and like say passphrases are usually recommended. Uh, they might not make sense to anyone, but you, that's what kind of makes them harder to, to do. And like I said, there are a number of good. Um, What's up? What do you mean by what do you mean by passphrase? Uh, so a number of words that don't really make sense together. Uh, so like I've seen, you know, examples might be like green ball sailboat. Like that doesn't mean anything. Right. But, you know, with, you know, some underscores and some numbers and, you know, uppercases and lowercases, 
that's all of a sudden a very secure password just because those don't really like say mean anything to anybody. Are you going to be at IMTS? Uh, I will. Yeah. So MXD will be at IMTS. We'll have a booth. Um, I will be stopping by for at least part of it myself. And I'm going to try to, you know, get some time on the floor to see all the other stuff. It'll, it'll actually be my first IMTS. So I'm really excited for it. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's fun. And it's funny when people are like, you going on IMTS? I'm like, yeah, might as well. And it's right there. Here. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, you know, it's a 10 minute drive for me. That's fine. Exactly. And it's weird when you, when you hear people that are like, yeah, I'm coming from England to go there. And I'm like, Oh, wow. Um, well, thank you so much. It was really fun. I think that people should be scared um, and need to be thinking about this stuff. Do you think that you know, you feel like you know too much? Like you, it's kind of scary to you because you know so much? Or do you block it out? Do you compartmentalize it and just... Well, you know, I, I go back and forth. Like I said, I've worked in a number of industries in my career, uh, you know, in automotive. I worked in aerospace for a little while. And, you know, you hear things, you learn things, you're like, huh, that's odd. You know, I was in the automotive industry when um, the big airbag recall was going on. Uh, what was that? The Takata, I believe, you know, like millions of cars were being uh, recalled. And, you know, you kind of think like, oh, you know, we all did all this testing, but yet this still happened. So it, it's kind of one of those things where I am glad to be on this end of it so that, you know, well, you, you know, you might learn things that are, that are scarier or unpleasant. At least you kind of also know that there are things you can do to minimize the damage, to prevent harm, uh, things of that nature. You know, while, while certainly there are things to be scared of, there's also plenty that you can do to protect yourself. From today's machining world, this is Swarfcast. If you like this podcast, please subscribe to the show on your favorite app and give us a five-star rating and a review. And don't forget to tell your friends about it. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and todaysmachiningworld.com to join our mailing list, read episode summaries, and watch extended interview videos. I'm Noah Graff. My occasional co-host is Lloyd Graff. Our managing editor is Ridgely Dunn. Our audio engineer is Patricio Garcia. For information on advertising or to submit an idea for a future podcast, follow the contact information at todaysmachiningworld.com. Music